Are you incorporating superfoods into your daily AM and PM and even afternoon snack rituals? Well, Organifi makes it so incredibly easy. Use promo code BB for 20% off of your order of Organifi products. These are incredible non-GMO glyphosate residue free superfood products with added adaptogens. And I am obsessed with the Harmony Cacao Mix in my morning coffee and also the green juice in original as like a morning matcha their glow formula their red juice formula all of their formulas are just incredible i am blown away at how delicious they are you're gonna love them your family you're gonna love them you can even serve them as a fabulous summer mocktail on the rocks use promo code bb and save 20 percent off now at Organifi.com slash BB. You can also find that direct link on the beautyandthebiohacker.com favorites page. Enjoy today's episode. Welcome to another episode of Beauty and the Biohacker, where we explore the latest tools and trends in self-care, aesthetics, and peak performance to help you live your most beautiful life from the inside out. I'm your co-host, Katie Moore, the biohacker part of Beauty and the Biohacker, with over three years of experience self-experimenting in the space of health and wellness, and I have a YouTube channel at Katie Type A. Hey everyone, my name is Rachel Varga. I am the beauty part of Beauty and the Biohacker here with Katie. I'm a board certified aesthetic nurse specialist with over 19,000 procedures performed and under my belt and an international clinical trainer. I train other physicians and nurses on aesthetic practices, rejuvenation, all that cool stuff and a celebrity skin expert. And all of this is we're really just bringing these resources to you guys to help you be your best version, both on the inside and out. And today we are thrilled to have Cody Hopkins on the show. Cody is a physicist turned farmer who has spent the better part of the last decade really dedicated to studying ethical farming practices and, of course, sustainable agriculture. And in 2014, he founded Grassroots Co-op, which is a really great collective of small family farms focused on the compassionate treatment of animals, sustainable farming practices, and, of course, transparency to the end consumer. And since launching, Grassroots has grown from six to over 20 farms and has been featured on everything from the Today Show to the Food Network and Bulletproof Radio. So welcome to the show, Cody. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. That's quite an intro. Thanks. (laughs) Well, you have quite a background and I want to just dive right into it. You were a physicist and you were a math teacher. How on earth did you get into sustainable farming and what was that kind of trigger point for you to really want to start making a change in this industry? Yeah, so um, you know, I think that there's several trigger points for me. One was I grew up in rural Arkansas um, in sort of the backyard of large industrial agriculture. And I saw what that did to poor rural communities across our state. And so um, one of the things that I wanted to do, you know, from a fairly young age, but uh, certainly after college and, and moving back to rural Arkansas was help make a difference in my community and help create opportunities for other you know, small farmers. Um, so part of it was you know, looking at economic development for impoverished rural communities. Um, and then 
another part of it was, you know, I had I was experiencing some health issues. I had a thyroid issue uh, that was diagnosed right as you know right before we started this path to start a farm, and so I was looking for a way to you know a healthier lifestyle. Um, and then you know I also was heavily influenced by a book I read by Michael Pollan that was you know focused. It was called The Omnivore's Dilemma. It's a great book, fun read. But it really talked about the environmental damage that, um, and the terrible animal welfare conditions that industrial agriculture, especially in the livestock space, uh, is contributing to the, the universe and the world. And so, I um, mean, it was really about, you know, a, a journey to help improve my community, improve my health and, you know, create a, um, a business that would actually make this world a better place versus extract from, you know, the, the, the rural communities that they existed in. Wonderful. I happen to love that you have a background in physics. I'm a massive nerd myself. Get me talking about particle physics, space, all that sweet jazz. I'm like, whew, cloud nine. Anyways, what I really like about what you offer is also that you work within a co-op model. And actually during my nursing training a long time ago, I actually did some community work within a health cooperative. So people that had difficulties affording access to alternative healers, whether that's acupuncture, TCM, nutritionists, naturopaths, they could pay a small fee, a small monthly fee, and it allowed them access to all of these providers that actually a lot of them were even donating their time to serve underserved populations. So tell us a little bit about your co-op farm model. How do farms join? How do they join you on your wonderful mission? And how do you kind of enforce the rules and keep the standards high with your care, which comes through your food? Yeah, there was a lot in that question there. So, you know, one of the reasons why we formed, we took the co-op model is because we believed that there was sort of strength in numbers and that by working together, we could sort of help build a new food system that would be good for farmers, good for customers, and, and good for the environment and the animals that we're raising. And so, uh, and actually the cooperative model in the U.S. was really developed to support, to help farmers work together. Um, and so it's really an underutilized model in the farming space today. I mean, there were several older co-ops that are, you know, a hundred years old or older, but you don't see a lot of new co-ops starting up. And so, um, you know, we were looking at it as a way to help give our farmers ownership to sort of cut out the middleman and let the farmers have control of the business. And so to, to compare this to like, um, you know, a Tyson model. So Tyson is owned by, you know, a, a small family and the shareholders, right? And so it's focused on the shareholders' interest, which is maximizing profits versus, you know, we have very different values. The industrial meat system and the way the ownership structure is, is I mean, it's a very, I mean, it's sort of a philosophical, uh, you know, a major philosophical distinction between the way grassroots is organized and the way the, re, you know, the vast majority, the vast majority of the industrial meat model is organized. You know, the industrial meat system is focused on producing meat as cheaply as possible to maximize shareholder profits. Whereas we have other values, we care about you know improving the environment. We want to um, you know build wealth in rural impoverished communities. We want to um, you know raise animals in a way that's you know that's good for the animals, where the animals live a life that they're happy about. Um, and then, um, you know, we care about making sure customers have the healthiest food possible. And so we have, you know, we, we set up this business so that 
we would not be in a position where we were forced to you know cha- maximize profits but instead could sort of follow our values and you know those values are core to who we are and you know we you know you asked about how do we ensure how do we bring on new farmers well um, it's really you know we see ourselves grassroots is um, you know connecting small family regenerative livestock farmers with conscientious carnivores right and so you know we see you know the more the more customers that are looking for this kind of meat the more farmers we're able to add and so you know we are constantly trying to educate customers tell customers about the story you know the the important work that we're doing share our values so that we can add new farmers you know our goal is to change the way the way meat is produced and consumed in this country and that really starts with educating customers on the value and the importance of supporting the kind of farmers that we work with. And, um, and then we are, you know, we're, you know, we have you know, one thing that makes grassroots different. So we're trying to, to develop the next generation of farmers. So we have people on staff who train farmers, provide farmers with logistical support, help farmers get access to, to capital and resources. And so, um, you know, and then also ensure that our farms are meeting and have the resources they need to meet our standards. And so they go and inspect every farm. They spend time on farms every single week. And so we're not just an e-commerce company that's buying meat from uh, farmers in Australia or uh, farmers we've never met. Uh, we actually have a you know, part of our team is working to train and develop farmers our business is actually led, I mean, I'm a farmer, so I'm the CEO of the business. And, you know, I, you have farmers at the front with grassroots and farmers all the way through. And so, um, you know, it's very important to us that we provide a lot of training and support to our farmers to really help them succeed and ensure that our customers are getting the best quality meat they can possibly get. Perfect. And I actually see a really cool segue into the beauty industry. So what I love to share with people is how to be a conscious consumer. So this applies to absolutely everything, what we put on our bodies, the what we put in our bodies, right? It's it's kind of the same, right? And and when we are aware of some of the business practices, it is important for us to be conscious about who we're supporting. And when you were talking about education and and standards, I actually see that in a lot of really great medical grade skincare companies that I've worked with for nearly 10 years. And it's neat how that is actually important in every type of business. So Thank you so much for really encouraging that educational aspect within what you do as well so that listeners here know that you are really doing your best to create a a conscious business. Yeah, great. Yeah, I think it's a really interesting point. I think that, you know, we often say that, um, you know, you can you vote with your fork, you know, in the kind of um, agriculture you want to see. It's the same way. And, you know, you vote with your dollar, right, when you go out and you shop with any company. And so one of the great things, so Grassroots is an e-commerce company. We, we go direct to con- consumers, right? Sell online. Um, and one of the great things about the development of e-commerce is it's letting so many companies that have, um, you know, really important values that are part of you know, the, their business model connect directly with consumers and it's given consumers an, al- an alternative. So whether it's in the beauty industry or in the meat industry, it's a fantastic thing. Yeah, and I think this segues so nicely into a question I have about the process and the experience when you get your first grassroots box in the mail. 
how do consumers know exactly what farms or where their meat is coming from versus going to your grocery store and you kind of have no clue where that meat came from. The butcher might not even know. So tell me, tell me a little bit about how you've created this really customizable experience for every single consumer. Yeah, so you know, being radically transparent has always been something that's been core to us. You know, we uh, I started out selling you know chickens and meat you know at the farmers market. So our farm when we first started. You know, we, we were we were on the road going to farmers markets and selling directly in a stall. Right. And so we've always been advocates of being radically transparent with our customers. We want them to know which farm every you know chicken breast or ribeye steak comes from. Um, and we want them to know their farmers. So, you know, we want to you know, we tell the stories of our farmers. We have open farm days when it's safe to travel. Um, you know, we've always, you know, every year hosted a couple of. Uh, on farm, you know, like a potluck type thing where customers come out, spend the day on the farm, getting to see how, how it's done. So, you know, at its core, we really believe that farmers, you know, the really, you know, that consumers are disconnected from their food. And so we want to connect them directly to farmers, to our farmers. And, um, and so every package that you get from grassroots has a farm of origin stamp on it. So you know exactly which farm it came from. You can learn more about that farm on our website. And then um, you, we have a uh, we do profiles on on farms throughout the year, and and then we also have a um, a QR code on every single package. Uh, we were the first company in uh, meat company in the country to have uh, farm to fork traceability on uh, using blockchain technology, and so you can scan that QR code and it'll show the journey from start to finish. It'll tell you where it was processed, where it was harvested, which farm it was raised on. Uh, and tell you more about that process. And so for us, you know, we want to create, uh, we want to change the way meat is produced and consumed in this country. And one of the core things for us in doing that is creating a, um, a food system of integrity where people know what the farmer, you know, how the farmer's treated, what the farmer's paid, um, you know, how farmers, you know, raise the animals. Our standards are published, for instance, on our website. So you know, customers can go on and we, it's amazing. We have customers, I, I, we have the most educated meat eaters in the world, I think that buy from us because they go through and there'll be questions about, um, you know, uh, it'll be like standard, you know, two twenty one C, you know, and they will have a question about how to, uh, you know, like what's going on there. Why do you allow a, um, you know, like grain fed to your chickens? Uh, what kind of grain is in your chicken? Do you in your feed for your chickens? Uh, so very, very interested customers that are looking to, you know, for a way to understand, trust what they're buying. And so we do a lot of work trying to share as much as we possibly can. Anything a customer asks, we're going to answer. Um, you know, we've had customers who call and say they want to know more about processing and we connect them with, you know, we actually own our own processing company. And so the person that runs that, Andy Shaw, will, he'll get on the phone with customers and answer very specific questions about how the animals are harvested or how the employees there are treated. treated. So from start to finish, we're working to create a, a food system of integrity. And it's, that starts with customers really being able to trust and know exactly how their food is being raised. 
I love it. And I actually live on Vancouver Island. I have, I'm actually surrounded by farms. My dear husband, Gabriel Varga, he's a six-time pro world champion kickboxer. He's got quite the green thumb. And the next phase is going to be having a little bit of a hobby farm. And I'll be asking Dave and Lana Asprey for their tips. They've already checked out where we are. And, oh, you could do this. You could have pigs here to, you know, get out all your blackberry roots and stuff like that. I'll definitely be, uh, you know, incorporating some of what you're doing here too on uh, my property. Walk us through your argument about grass-fed and grass-finished meat because grass-fed has really become quite a popular kind of buzzword gets thrown around, but it's really the grass-finished. That is the key part. Can you cite some of the purported health benefits on both the microbiome and skin health? And even if it's just anecdotal, if you have some research articles that you can point us towards to substantiate any claims that's awesome yeah yeah so i'll you know just go straight to the some of the benefits on our on our blog we have several articles where we did some uh, fatty acid testing on our meat and um, that uh, showed amazing results amazing differences uh, also you know uh, higher levels of amino acids you know better higher levels of vitamin a and d so there's um, several articles on our blog and i can give you a link to that those articles um, you know. And vitamin A is key for uh, anti-aging. It's a very powerful antioxidant. It's been used in skin health for decades. There's tons of research on this. So yeah, we can get a lot of vitamin A actually through our diet, which gives us actually a degree of internal skin sun protection, which is kind of cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, and just sort of philosophically from my standpoint, you know, it's, it's um, you've always heard the saying, you are what you eat. And, you know, I believe it goes much, it goes further than that. It's not just what you eat, but what, what you eat eats, right? And so, um, you know, the, in the case of our herbivores, which are, you know, our goats and sheep and, and uh, cattle, you know, those are animals that have evolved to eat just grass. They don't need grain. Grain actually makes them sick. And so, uh, you know, they have a, what are called rumens that are, that allow them to digest, you know, turn beautiful grass into really healthy protein, right? And so if you feed those animals grain, it actually makes, makes them less healthy. Consequently, the meat's less healthy. For instance, when we did the fatty acid test, our omega-3 ratio was, um, in the, in the, our grass-fed beef, it was six times better than what you find in conventional beef. And so that's one, you know, that's one area, but there's many, many other areas where, you know, whether it's the vitamin content or the amino acids or, you know, there's lots of areas where uh, it's just nutritionally, you know, if it's raised in an environment it's evolved to live in, it's just better for you. Our pigs, for instance, are raised in a forest, all right? So they get grain, right? Pigs do well on grain. They're, they, they're uh, you know, they, they're omnivores. Um, and so do our chickens. Chickens actually have a, um, you know, a, a stomach that allows them to, a little grain mill basically inside them to be able to grind up the grain, right? Um, and so our pigs, for instance, they're out in the forest. Um, they are eating uh, wild berries, acorns, hickory nuts. When we did the fatty acid test with them, the, they were 10 times, the omega-3 ratio was 10 times better in our forested pork than what you would find in a conventional grocery store. And so, you know, I think that it's you know, really putting animals outside, not saying, you know, you can call a chicken uh, pasture raised and actually never put it on pasture. All you have to do is take a chicken house, cut out a door on the side, and then give it access to a dirt run outside. And you can call that a pasture chicken. Uh, and, and so, 
the way we do it is we actually put those chickens out on fresh grass and they're moved every single day to fresh grass. Our turkeys are out on fresh grass. They're moved every single day to fresh grass. Not a dirt lot, but fresh grass every single morning. Um, same thing with our cattle. They're moved to fresh grass every single day. So it's a, uh, you know, not all grass-fed beef is created equal. Um, it's, you know, you're right. It's how they're finished is very important that they're on it their entire lives because you do see um, a lot of the grass-fed beef industry will you know, keep them out on grass for a period of time and then finish them on grain. And then you don't really, you don't get the benefits of a grass-fed animal. Um, and in our case, they're actually, they're out there their entire lives getting moved every single day so that every day they have a lush new salad bar to start munching on. And that really comes through in the flavor and the health benefits of the animals. Yeah, that is fascinating. And I actually just turned uh, a group of friends onto your forested pork because I did oh explain so to good. them <laughs> why it is so different. And, you know, the the digestive system of pigs, which I think, you know, it's it's just you can taste it in the flavor, but you can also, you just feel better eating it, too. And so. Um, so, yeah, so they they are like totally on board now. And uh, and it, that's, you know, kind of the whole purpose of of finding these, you know, unique companies and being able to share that information because now they're more educated consumers as a result. No. They're going to no. think differently when they go out for dinner and, you know, does this have a grass-fed steak on it or not? And maybe I'll take a different option instead. But I I do know, and I've, I've looked extensively into your co-op rules, and I know that antibiotics are not something that you guys use in terms of um, your agricultural practices. So I'm sure that does come with some, you know, given the fact that you're working with livestock, I'm sure that comes with some, you know, um, potential issues with, you know, uh, cows and um, pigs getting sick. So I would love for you to kind of talk about, you know, how, what challenges do you face from not using hormones and antibiotics like you might get in factory farms? And what have you done about it? Yeah. So we have a, you know, it's antibiotics are a big deal in the animal industry. Uh, I think something I've read that 80%, somewhere in that realm, like a huge percentage of the antibiotics used in this country go to livestock production, industrial livestock production. And that's an extremely scary thing, whether it's the um, you know, just it coming through in the meat uh, or the effects related to uh, antibiotic resistance, you know, bugs. And so it's terrifying, really terrifying to me. And so, you know, we have a really strong stance on antibiotics. We don't, you know, we, um, you know, in our approaches to, to treat the animals in a way that we have a, a proactive approach. So whether it's the quality of the feed, we spend more on the minerals that we put in our feed. We put kelp in our feed. We put probiotics in our feed. You know, we're doing things that, you know, from a nutrition standpoint that help keep the animals at, you know, as healthy and you know, super, super healthy and vibrant. Right. Uh, we also, you know, not just what we feed them, but also the way we, um, you know, we keep them on pasture, fresh pasture. So every day, the way they're being moved every day to fresh pasture, that breaks parasitic cycles, helps build their immune system. They're just a lot healthier because they're not, you know, conventional uh, ag production, whether it's a, um, you know, chicken house or a feedlot for beef or a, a pig house, hog house, those animals are kept in the same spot their entire lives. 
And so they're just, you know, I mean, it's disgusting to say, but they're just full of manure. I mean, they don't have ground underneath them. They have manure underneath them, right? And that's a that's a very dangerous, unnatural situation to be in. And so um, and we, you know, we totally, we do the opposite. You know, ours are always, you know, they spend one day and then they're on to a next spot. So that really helps keep the animals super duper healthy. Um, you know, we're not 100%. I mean, antibiotics are a good thing for you know, society, right? If used appropriately, uh, what's happened in the industry, in the ag industry, you know, I'm just gone so far the other way. They use it to make their animals grow faster and make more money. And that's what happens when you, all you value is how many dollars you can make, right? Maximizing profit. That's, that's the way the industrial system is set up. It's all about, you know, forget the consequences. How much money can we make? Right. And when you are buying meat raised in a system like that, it's very dangerous because they don't care about your health. They don't care about the environment. They don't worry about things like antibiotic resistance uh, in relation to society. They worry about it in relation to like, well, is it going to make us less profitable? Right. And so, um, so yeah, we have a pretty, we have a really strong, strict stance against that. We are, we don't use antibiotics that way. Uh, if a you know if a farmer has a cow that needs antibiotics to stay alive, well, we give the farmer the permission to do that, but we just do not put that into our food chain. You know that farmer will have to take that and you know go to a you know a, a different sale barn or something like that to sell it. But what we really preach to all of our farmers, and you know, we do this with the support we provide them with the our technical assistance on our on our staff is you know, being a proactive approach so that we don't have these issues. And you know, we've never in my, you know, I've raised a lot of chickens here in our farm, out on pasture and turkeys too. We've never, ever, ever given antibiotics. You know, if they, you know, if we ever have like a, you know, an animal that doesn't look good at our approaches, we go, you know, through, look at probiotics and, um, you know, uh, different vitamin mixes to try to boost their immune system. So, you know, we believe that, you know, if you can be proactive about it, it should be a, you know, you shouldn't really be much of an issue. So talking about being proactive with your animals that you're caring for, why can't we as, you know, humanity collectively become more proactive in our health as well? Am I right? It's, there's such an overlap there. And I'm so proud of you for taking that stance because what you're doing is you're almost you know, planting the seeds, that was a great pun, uh, for other people to start to live their lives in a different way. So I'm very proud of you for doing that. I wanted to ask you a question about the color and texture, because I'm always looking at, you know, color and texture of skin. How can we remove brown spots, promote collagen, reduce sagginess to the skin, low brows, hooded eyelids, all this stuff. I'm like a color and texture junkie. I'm looking at it in everything. And uh, Dave and Lena actually gave us some beautiful ribs from their farm. And a couple of weeks before, my lovely father is, my father-in-law is a trained French chef, and he makes these fabulous ribs, but they were from the traditional grocery store. They were, you know, on sale. He was feeding like 10, 15 of us. And then we had Dave Asprey's me. I was like, my mind was blown. Like the cartilage was edible. It was just like soft and buttery and the ribs were falling off the bones. It was just this beautiful like mouthfeel. It was just awesome. 
So tell us a little bit about how the color and texture of the meat that the animal was raised using grass over grains can really create a difference. Yeah, well, so I'm going to start not with meat, but with an egg. All right. And you see this. It's funny. My son has a flock of laying hens and it's sort of his his um, mini enterprise. You know, he's a, a budding entrepreneur. So he has that and a hive of bees right now. Um, and, but so every morning I, I make an omelet out of his eggs or his, his chicken's eggs and they're out on pasture. And if you look at a, at a chicken egg that's been raised on pasture, the color of the yolk is orange. Like you can see the beta carotene in there. It's just a totally different look. And it actually, it holds together in a, a totally different way. You drop a pasture-raised egg onto a skillet and it's like, it just, it holds its form versus a you know, a, a conventional chicken house chicken egg, and it's pale yellow, almost white, and then it just sort of falls apart. And so, you know, it's just, it's amazing to me the difference. You can really see the difference there in a chicken egg. In the case of meat, you know, it's a, I can't tell you how many customers, especially folks who are in their 50s to 60s who eat our chicken, and they're like, oh my gosh, I haven't had real chicken in, you know, since I was a kid, basically. And if someone who's like 70 or 80 gets it, it's like, oh my gosh, this is what chicken used to taste like when I was, you know, younger. And so it's a, you know, the, the way it's raised, the, like for, I mean, pigs, for instance, being out on the forest, eating acorns, it totally changes the melting point of the fat in the pork. And so it will actually melt at a lower temperature because of that and gives it a much, you know, the texture is totally different. The color is a deeper, darker red because it's, you know, it's out eating different things. And so uh, the diet absolutely affects the color, certainly the flavor, the health benefits and the texture of the meat for sure. You're absolutely right. I'm totally obsessed that you just mentioned melting points. This brings me back to my organic chemistry labs when we're looking at a compound and then we add impurities or whatever, and it changes it. Absolutely. And what you're talking about with the egg yolk, the constitution of the membrane is stronger in those healthier eggs. And hello, our skin is every cell in our body is made of membranes. And so I just thought that was really cool. That's cool. Yeah. And back to your question about you know, being proactive, I think that yeah, so I, I've never been a you know, big into like biofeedback, all right? But I have recently got this little ring. It's it's a sleep ring. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. So I'll tell you what. We're all right there with you. Yeah, so I think more things on this front, on the biofeedback front, because this totally changed my behavior. Like at night, I'm like, no, I can't eat now because last night when I ate late, it caused my, you know, HVR to be up high. And, and so I, I think you know, um, developments in the biofeedback space that, you know, it's wearables, right? That po- folks can wear to help give them, um, you know, feedback on their health can be one way to help because it's hard to be proactive. We're all so busy. You know, you don't, you know, it's most people, so many of our customers don't come to us until they've had a real serious health issue, right? It's just over and over again. It's like, well, we have a thyroid or, you know, some sort of uh, autoimmune disease or, you know, my, my son or daughter is sick and, and so, um, you know, it's, it's, if we could find ways to get some feedback a little bit earlier from our body, um, I think that that would be a fantastic way to help address what you're talking about earlier in regards to being a bit more proactive as a bonus question. Is your aura ring on airplane mode? Uh, no, it's not. Should it be? Yes. Katie. Yes. <laughs> Put it on airplane mode. Then you get no EMFs and we can, we can t- cover that another time. Um, 
But I, I absolutely love what you said about, you know, sometimes just taking the proactive approach waiting instead of waiting for symptoms to show up. I, you know, anecdotally, I have um, some friends who have just started now experimenting with carnivore after facing some thyroid issues. And so it was a life, it was such a jarring life altering change from moving from the standard American diet into something carnivore and Full disclosure, they're only eating grassroots meat right now. But it now takes a longer time to start really doing all of these health practices and really revamping your entire life. Whereas when you can take small steps and just start incorporating, you know, only grass-fed meat here and then, you know, being really mindful of organic produce and starting to take control of your sleep, if you can start layering those things into your life every day, it makes it so much less jarring and taxing. At least that that's how it's been for me. Um, but I, I did want to kind of segue into talking a little bit more about the carbon uh, positive impact that you leave on your soil. So just for listeners, in, in case you don't know, I'd love for you to kind of walk us through what that means. Because one of the things I love and the reasons why my fiance and I always buy from grassroots is because we do we do care a lot about the environment and the long-term ecology of our planet. And you guys do a great job with you know, humanely raising animals, but you're not only just doing that, you're doing so much more in terms of how you're raising them. So talk a little bit about this carbon positive impact and what that could mean for our earth long-term. Our soil is the biggest carbon sink that we have in the world, right? It can, we can actually absorb carbon in the atmosphere into the soil and help reduce our, you know, our carbon emissions, right? And, um, you know, it's, it really starts with the organic matter in the soil. If you're able to build the organic matter in the soil, then that increases that soil's ability to hold carbon from it, pull carbon from the atmosphere and sequester it. It also helps increase the soil's water holding capacity too. Uh, an interesting stat that I think it's fascinating. So for every percentage point increase you make in the in your soil's organic matter for an acre, right, that increases that soil's water holding capacity by 20,000 gallons. That's just amazing to me. So you know, when we started out, the soils in our farm held, you know, it was about a, a one and a half percent organic matter. We're up to 4% now. You know, it's, a, it's incredible. I mean, you're talking about going from holding you know, an acre holding 25,000 gallons uh, or 30,000 gallons of, of water to almost 80,000 gallons of water. I mean, imagine what that does downstream. I mean, not only does it make our pastures, I mean, our pastures are more, much more green than our neighbors, but it also reduces erosion. It reduces, you know, the runoff downstream, right? So it's a, you know, building that organic matter does a lot of good for the world, all right? And as you're able to increase that organic matter in your soil, you are able to sequester more and more tons of carbon. You know, and most farms, in my, especially you know, livestock farms, should be um, actually a you know uh, a net negative carbon sink. And so our goal as a ecosystem, as a food system, you know, working with our farmers processing is to be at the end of the day, you know, even after we ship it to our customers, a net negative carbon company, you know, a zero carbon emitter as a company. 
Um, we, we believe in it so much, we actually have started investing in a company that does, um, they work with uh, tree farms around the, the, the world and they offset carbon, uh, carbon footprints for companies around the world that are, you know, by buying carbon credits with these tree farmers. And so, you know, it's a, it's an amazing thing that can really help us improve our, uh, our ecosystem and our environment across the world. And the way you do this is by, you know, managing animals. They're the fastest way is by taking herbivores and, you know, chickens and pigs and and rotating them around land in a way that actually increases the diversity in the soil, increases the diversity on top of the ground, more grasses, different types of grasses, legumes. Um, you know, we also, we, we add, uh, every year we're adding new varieties of plants to our pastures to try to increase that diversity. So moving animals in a way that actually builds the soil uh, it, you know, it's, it's an amazing sort of symbiotic system where the animals are rotating in a way that they're, it's mimicking their uh, natural behaviors. That creates a healthier animal. Um, and then that also creates he healthier soils and healthier pastures. And over time, those, those pastures have a real valuable impact on our environment. So Cody, you know, I've, I've listened to a lot of podcasts um, on kind of the big school, two schools of thoughts, you know, the vegans and the carnivores and and their thoughts on ecology. And so on one hand, you have kind of some vegans arguing that, well, cows are one of the leading causes of global warming. And then on the other side, you have this idea of like carnivores saying, well, the monocrop crop culture is really what is destroying our planet's soil. And, you know, some in some ways, both are right to some degree. So I get that your practices are carbon positive, and that is amazing. But how much land would this actually take to feed every single person on the planet this way? And based on your answer to that, could some say that maybe grass-fed meat is a luxury good? Um, so yeah, there's a lot in that last point. All right. So it is more expensive. All right, it is. And I'll get to that in a second. Um, but in regards to can we feed the world? Well, I'll start with can we feed the country, all right? And so uh, the average American eats around 222 pounds of meat a year on average, all right? Um, now, you know, let's, you can debate whether that's too much or not. You know, I think it's fine. I think, you know, our, our stance is eat less but better quality, all right? But I'll, I'll come back to that. Um, so our farm, all right, produces around two between the chickens the turkeys um, on pasture the pigs in the forest and the cattle that we raise every year we, we're raising around 225,000 pounds of meat every year all right so you know essentially our farm is feeding about a thousand people has the ability to feed a thousand people every year at that 222 pounds per person all right now that means they're going to have to eat a whole animal diet, all right? They can't just pick T-bone steaks every night, all right? They have to eat a mix of, you know, they have to eat ham hocks and bacon and, um, you know, pork chops, um, you know, along with their, you know, maybe their pork jowl, you know, or things like that, right? So I do think it means we would have to eat differently, all right? Um, 
But so to put that in perspective, if our farm can feed a thousand people, all right, then to feed our population, you would need around 310,000 farms of our size to feed our country, all right? And, you know, with our land size, that would be about, you know, around, we have about 300 acres here, a little over that. Uh, so you're talking about 100 million acres of farms like our farm to be able to feed the country. Well, so 300,000 livestock farmers doing regenerative ag, I mean, talk about an amazing thing across this country. Um, that would, you know, right now in the U.S., we have two million registered farms, right? So I definitely think three hundred thousand farms is totally possible, right? It'd be an amazing, actually, economic development engine across our rural landscape. Uh, and then, as far as the acreage goes, we have almost a billion acres, like nine hundred million something acres in agricultural production across this country. Well, you can cut some of that out because you don't need the grain production for the beef or the sheep or the, the goats, right? Um, and all we need to feed, to, you know, to replicate our farm here is 100 million of those 900 million acres. I think it's absolutely doable. And I live in the middle of the Arkansas Ozarks. It is not a fertile place here. I don't live in uh, you know, some, I mean, we have uh, really rocky, rough soils. And so I absolutely think it's possible. I do think that it's going to, it's going to uh, take a change in the way folks eat. It's going to mean eating the whole animal, which I think is better all around uh, from a nutritional and from an enjoyment standpoint. Um, and then in regards to you know, how expensive, like, is this a luxury item? Well, I would say that, I mean, one way I think of this is um, you know our grass-fed beef is a little less than nine dollars a pound on our website. That's you order it there and ship directly to your house for less you know a little less than nine bucks a, or no sorry a little less than ten bucks a pound so around nine fifty I think. So a Snickers bar is over when you look at it per pound it's over ten dollars a pound. So it's about priorities, right? It's not about I mean it's now when you compare us to like cheap meat raised in a feedlot. Yeah, we're going to be, you know, uh, twice as much or more. Uh, it, it does cost more. We, as I talked about earlier in the episode, uh, we value more than just producing it as cheaply as possible to maximize profits. There's a lot of benefits that come, you know, you can feel good about buying grassroots meat because of all the things, you know, related to the environment, the animal welfare, farmers getting paid a living wage, um, you know, the health benefits in a way that, you know, if you buy cheap meat, there's a lot of cost that consumers don't realize on the front end, but get you on the back end, right? And you know, another interesting stat is that I don't have this exactly, damn it, I can't remember the exact percentages, but this is directionally right. So basically in the 50s, on average, we spent about, I think it was 17, 16 to 17% of our income on food and about 8% on healthcare. Today, that's totally inverse of that. It's that it's uh, we're spending almost um, you know eighteen percent on healthcare and eight percent on uh, on food. And so you know we spend the you know at, as a in the developed world we spend the least amount on food per capita out of any developed country. So from my standpoint, buy less, buy better, and feel good about it. Um, that's, that's sort of our stance here and we think it'll create a much, much better, much better country. So.
I got to jump in here because when you're talking about smarter spending, let's talk for a hot second about smarter spending with more conscious purchasing for what we put on our bodies and in our bodies. So here's a couple of tips. When you're thinking about budgeting out, you know, your food and your skincare, right? Because that's what I do. People meet with me all over the world and they book a one-on-one with me. I'll go through what their skin goals are. How can we address certain things? Come up with a skin routine and rejuvenation plan. It's pretty sweet. I don't know why more people don't do those work, to be honest. But the funny thing is when I meet with people, this is the cool tie in here. They're spending their whole month's food budget on their skincare. And I'm just like, what that your priorities messed up let's just get things a little bit more streamlined so basically people can get started on a solid medical grade skincare routine for you know less than 250 dollars budgeting maybe 110 dollars a month so to get really good products you don't have to spend that and and assume that to get great skin it's got to have that luxury price tag it's just taking a look at maybe spending smarter using actives that are better for your skin vitamin c hyaluronic acid peptides growth factors all that sweet stuff and then for your food maybe just buying less meat but making sure that the meat is more consciously raised it's more nutritionally dense so my tips for you guys all listening is to really start to interact and reach out to people like Cody and your website for more resources on this and you know you guys can reach out to me directly one-on-one just you know send us an email direct message you guys know how to reach us in the show notes below and I'm happy to help you guide be your guide to optimize what you're doing on your skin and Cody you're the guy for in the body and then Katie you're also the biohacker so yeah Katie and I you know we're happy to help you guys that's what this podcast is all about is giving great resources so Katie what do you have to add to that yeah I mean I think at the end of the day it's like you are going to get what you pay for right so people are always trying to kind of ask me for like well what kind of sleep tracker could I get for like under 25 dollars not a good one. There's a reason why we all have the aura ring, you know? And so you invest kind of upfront, but you know that why you're investing is because it's impacting your long-term health. Why we invest in getting grassroots versus going grain fed at our local supermarket is because this is actually having an impact on our health. So I think that's like a really good way to kind of like wrap it up and just say, think about what your own goals are and also like do tests too. look at your blood markers and seek that kind of information and then make your diet and, and lifestyle changes around that. So I think that's, you know, kind of what I hope would be really helpful for people that they're just starting to di- like download and start to dive into this stuff. And I just to wrap up, Cody, I, I absolutely love what you guys are doing at Grassroots. And I'd love to know if you could just in like 30 seconds or less paint us a picture of what the next 10 years look like. Oh, wow. Um, so the next 10 years, we want to, we'd love to see, you know, a couple thousand Grassroots farms across the country, working together, connecting to, you know, several hundred thousand uh, conscientious carnivores who are looking for healthy meat raised right. So it's uh, it's for us, it's about making this meat more accessible to customers around the country and then uh, helping grow a new generation of farmers. So that's what we're focused on. Thanks for having me. 
Thank you so much for joining us. And I have no doubt you guys are going to do it. Um, and if you want to get inf more information about Grassroots, you can find all of that in the show notes below, along with a special coupon code if it's your first time trying Grassroots. And you guys definitely need to get some forested pork. Trust us. Delicious. <laughs> Thank you so much, Cody. Thank you. Thanks, Cody. Thanks, Cody.